Good morning, Rosetta Baptist Church. My name is Nate Todd, and it is a privilege to be here with you today unpacking the truths of God's Word. Am I, am I getting some feedback here? You good? Okay. Today we are going to wrap up the book of Jonah. If there's one thing that we can take away from chapter 4, it is this. We are called to give and share the grace that we have received. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah, but before we dive into chapter 4, let's do a quick recap of the first three chapters. We start out with the prophet Jonah. Jonah receives the word of the Lord to go to the city of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were wicked and corrupt, and the Lord told Jonah to go there and to preach the wrath of God. That was headed to them because of how evil they were. So Jonah rises the next morning and he heads right off the Nineveh, doesn't he? No. He runs. He heads down to Joppa, buys his boat ticket, and he is off to Tarshish. Running from the Lord can be very tiresome. So, Jonah finds a nice spot in the bottom of the ship and falls fast asleep. His peaceful sleep is interrupted by the ship's frantic captain. The ship was about to be broken into pieces by a terrible storm. The sailors begin to question Jonah, and the truth comes out. Jonah tells them that he fears God the one true God of heaven, the creator of the land and the sea. Jonah goes on to tell them that he had fled from the Lord. He told the men to throw him overboard, reassuring them that his blood would not be on their hands. So they toss him over, and when they do, the sea becomes calm. And after seeing this, the sailors feared the Lord, offering a sacrifice and making vows. This is the part of the story that we know all too well. Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah cries out to the Lord in a prayer of desperation. He's been swallowed by a great sea monster, and he's still alive. You can't get much more desperate than that. He ends the prayer with these words. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the fish vomits him out. Jonah gets a second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah yet again. And this time Jonah listens. The Lord tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites that in 40 days the city will be overthrown. Jonah begins his mission proclaiming that the Lord will come and destroy this wicked city. Much to our surprise, the people of Nineveh actually listen. From the king to the lowliest servant, they listen. They, the Ninevites believe God, they proclaim a fast, and they put on sackcloth. They humble themselves before the Lord, and they repent. When God sees them turn from their evil ways, he has mercy on them, and the Lord spares them from the judgment that they deserve. As Christian author Trevin Wax states, Jonah became the instrument by which God orchestrated one of the greatest revivals in history. So how do you think Jonah will react to this successful mission? A man himself who has tasted the sweetness of God's mercy out of the belly of the beast. How will he respond? Well, as we just heard, much to our surprise, we start seeing Jonah angry. Angry to the point where he wants to die. In verses 2 and 3 we read, And he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord is, O Lord, is it not th this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and to relenting from disaster. Therefore, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, 
for it is better for me to die than to live. Rightfully so, we see God respond in verse 4 in a similar way that we would all respond. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah finds a spot outside the city to watch and see what will happen next. God gives him a plant for some shade from the sun. Jonah's bad attitude turns into some much-needed gratitude. But the comfort is short-lived, along with Jonah's joy. When a God-appointed worm withers the plant, allowing... With withers the plant, allowing the sun and heat to fall back on Jonah. Again, we see Jonah wishing we were dead. This time, because his plant that he had grown to adore was gone. The Lord puts the exclamation point on the end of the chapter with a question. Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Why shouldn't I pity the people of Nineveh? So what is Jonah's problem? He has a problem giving the grace that he received. He has no compassion. Craig Smith, another at our church, wrote it perfectly when he said, Jonah knew that God would bring salvation to the Ninevites, and Jonah did not love these people. He does not want to see these enemies of Israel spared. In verse 2, Jonah is telling God the reason that he fled, the reason he fled in the first place is because he knew God would have mercy on the Ninevites, his enemies. In chapter 3, we read that Jonah is angry and upset, that he would rather just die. These feelings don't just boil over due to a frustration from Jonah that he alludes to in verse 2. He's not just frustrated because he feels like God was going to fulfill his plan no matter what anyway. No. Jonah is seeing red because those people did not deserve the same grace, love, and mercy and compassion that he received. God makes his point with the plant. Now, for you farmers out there, there is only one plant that can grow faster than the one in the story of Jonah. Anyone know what that is? The only plant that can grow faster than the plant in the story of Jonah is Waterham in the month of May in Western Illinois. <laughs> but some of us might argue that Waterham is from the devil and not from God. So, but in all seriousness, uh, God uses the plant to show how selfish Jonah actually is. He becomes angry once again, this time about this plant that brought him short-term comfort, all the while showing no compassion for this great city who, who was saved from the wrath of God. Now, if anyone out there is thinking that I'm being pretty hard on Jonah, well, you're right, I am. Jonah's character flaws are on full display here in this self-entitled book. God, but Jonah isn't the only one that is going to be examined today. God reveals us, to us in these scriptures how disobedient, ungrateful, and uncompassionate that man can actually be. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God revealed this story to us through his word so we can examine our own hearts and ask ourselves some questions. So if you have something to write with you right now, a pen, a paper, get it out. Or if you have your mobile mobile tablet there, get it out and write some questions down here. The first question, in what area of my life am I being disobedient to what the Lord has called me to do? 
How am I being disobedient to what the Lord has called me to do? The second question is, in light of how gracious the Lord has been to me in my life, how am I being ungrateful? So the second question is, how am I being ungrateful? And the third question is, who do I need to give grace to? So the first question is, how am I being disobedient to what the Lord has called me to do? How am I being ungrateful? And who do I need to give grace to? Be honest with yourselves and with the Lord. Jonah couldn't hide from the Lord, and neither can we. Jonah had his own motives throughout the book. Jonah wanted to follow his own rules. Jonah thought that his way was better than God's way. He was more than willing to receive his salvation, which was unmerited, but thought that he knew better than God when it comes to things like mercy and justice. Jonah did not want to give the grace that he had received. Does that sound familiar today? What motivates us? Are we so consumed with judging others based off of the mistakes that they have made that we forget we are all sinners in need of a Savior? Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came for us, not in spite of being enemies with God, but because we were enemies with God. This is how much he loves us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We are born sinners. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that you are saved by grace through faith in him. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we read, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are all start out in the same sinful condition. As a follower of Jesus, you have done nothing to earn your salvation. It is by grace you are saved. Instead of judging others, we embrace. We should be praying for them and sharing this gospel truth that we embrace. If I may for a moment, get a little personal. Early on in my marriage, I was not walking with the Lord. And I made a lot of mistakes. Not only did I sin against the Lord, I sinned against my wife. I surrendered my life to Jesus and confessed my sins to the Lord and also to my wife. I still will never forget while we were going on through all of that, what she said to me. She said, if Jesus can forgive me for all the sins that I have committed, how can I not forgive you, Nathan? That is the definition of the gospel lived out. Seeing people through the eyes of Jesus instead of the eyes of condemnation. So maybe I should give some grace to old Jonah. After all, his story is very helpful in my own self-assessment of how simple I actually am. In Jonah 2.9, we see Jonah make a profound statement. He proclaims, salvation belongs to the Lord. In the book of Jonah, we see the providence of God in his plan of redemption. A plan of redemption where we can see God giving his grace. Jonah disobeys God, and there are consequences. 
Jonah gets swallowed by the fish. But think about this for a moment. God could have allowed Jonah to drown. The fish, in a sense, is also a twofold rescue plan for Jonah. First, the fish prevents Jonah from drowning in the sea. While Jonah was probably not comfortable, he was still alive. And after three days are up, he returns to dry ground, alive. The second part of this twofold rescue is by getting swallowed, Jonah learns a lesson in obedience. He learns that the best thing to do is follow the Lord and what he commands. We don't know what happens to Jonah after God asks the cliffhanger question at the end of Jonah 4. We hope that he learns his lesson and that our gracious God was teaching to him. One thing we do know is that the Lord makes his point to Jonah very clearly. God leaves the ball in Jonah's court on how he is going to respond. Something I find interesting is that through the chaos of this storm and the great fish, we have a little hidden treasure of how good God is. In Jonah 1.16, we read, The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors had their lives spared from after uh, being, excuse me, sailors had their lives saved from being shipwrecked. Even more so, they feared the Lord and vowed to serve him. If Jonah went straight to Nineveh, who would have told the men about the God who created the land and the sea? Would they have seen the awesomeness, awesome hand of God that can call a raging sea? Now let's look at the Ninevites. The Lord goes to a lot of trouble to get to this city and to save the evil people that live there. When I think about the people of Nineveh and the Lord sending Jonah there, I'm reminded of Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And now how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Setting aside the overarching theme of Jonah's poor attitude, attitude, we see God saving a whole city of people. In the ESV version, God describes them as people who didn't know their right hand from their left. The NLT describes them as living in spiritual darkness. The Ninevites were lost and in danger of spending eternity separated from God. God had a rescue plan. As I stated earlier, we see God's providence throughout the story of Jonah. Wayne Grudem defines God's providence as this. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them, cooperates with the created things of every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do, and directs them to fulfill his purposes. Put it simply, God is in control. He has a plan, and he cares for us. Through the first three chapters of Jonah, we do see the providence of God. His purpose of redemption being fulfilled. We see the sailors repent as the result of a situation they did not plan, but one that God put, right in the, put them right in the middle of. What seemed to be a nightmare for them was actually the best thing that could have happened. We see Jonah being called, being rescued, given a second chance, and ultimately, ultimately being taught a very tough lesson, life lesson from none other than the creator of the universe. We see the Ninevites, those evil people who are redeemed by the grace of God through a series of events that are so remarkable they can be found in the pages of the Holy Word of God. This is his providence. 
directing his creation to fulfill his plan. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have seen the providence of God in your own life. How different life circumstances did not happen by accident. You've seen God take chaotic situation and rescue you from it. You can testify firsthand how he has changed your heart. You know all about second chances. Psalms 145.8 tells us that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. If you walk with Jesus, you know that where you are today did not happen by chance. God has a plan, and he cares for you. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Jonah ran away from giving the grace. Jesus runs towards us with the grace. We have the poor example of Jonah, but hallelujah, we have the best example in Jesus. The story of Jonah does not point to Jonah, it points to Jesus. He is our perfect example of how to give grace. So church, who are the Ninevites in your life? Who are those people who you need to give grace to? Political foes? Irritating neighbors? Bad drivers? Someone who looks different than you? Or someone who believes different than you? Or maybe it's somebody who has hurt you? Ladies and gentlemen, we are all born sinners. And that sin separates us from a holy God. But God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to be beaten, humiliated, and to ultimately die on the cross as the payment for our sins. For your sins and for my sins. He was buried but rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death forever. Accepting Jesus' free gift of salvation is the only way to be righteous before God. It is the only way to spend eternity with God. We can do nothing to earn this salvation. We are saved by his grace through faith. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. If you are not a follower of Jesus, why not accept this free gift today? But if you are a believer of Jesus, and you believe this to be good news, the best news, are you sharing this grace that you have received? As believers, we should be sharing the good news every chance we get with families, friends, neighbors, coworkers. How about those unreached people groups of the world who have never heard the name of Jesus? The Great Commission calls us to be disciples of all the nations, to make disciples of all the nations, not just the tri-state area. Maybe it's time we get out of our comfort zones a little bit and think about what we are called to do and how we are living our part of God's providential plan. We need to have hearts for the lost in our country and in others. Whether we are called to go or not, we all have an obligation to do our part for the kingdom. To do our part for the kingdom. Aren't you thankful for the one or ones that told you the good news of Jesus? Who do you need to give grace to and who do you need to share grace with? Amid his misery, Corporal DeShaner had one source of solace. He writes, I begged my captors to get a Bible for me. At last, in the month of May, 1944, a guard brought him, or brought me the book, but told me I could only have it for three weeks. 
He writes, I eagerly began to read its pages. I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes, and that when I looked at the enemy's, enemy officers, officers and guards who had starved and beaten my companions and me so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to love and pity. I realized that these people did not know anything about my Savior, and that if Christ is not in the heart, it is natural to be cruel. Corporal DeShazer gained the strength to survive, and he became determined to spread Christian teachings to his enemies. Upon returning home, he enrolled at Seattle Pacific College and received a bachelor's degree in biblical literature in 1948. He arrived in Japan with Florence, his wife, also a graduate of Seattle Pacific and a fellow missionary. A few days later, he preached his first sermon there, speaking to about 188 people at the Tokyo Supper. In 1950, he gained a remarkable convert. Matsuo Fushida, the Japanese naval flyer who led the Pearl Harbor attack and became a rice farmer after the war, came upon a religious tract written by the Shazer. It was then that I met Jesus and accepted him as my personal savior, Mr. Fushida recalled when he attended a memorial service in Hawaii in observance of the 25th anniversary of the attack. He had become an evangelist and had made several trips to the United States to meet Japanese-speaking immigrants. Mr. DeShazer spent 30 years in Japan doing missionary work. Over the years, Mr. DeShazer met on several occasions with Mr. Fushida, who died in 1976. I saw him just before he died, Mr. DeShazer stated. We shared in that good, wonderful thing that Christ had done. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have saved us. We pray, God, that you will just be with us as we go from here today, extending this mercy that you have given us so freely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.